Hello, thank you for listening to this podcast. My name is Stephen Cook and this is a talk for Advent Sunday 2023. In 1995, Tim LaHaye and his co-author Simon Jenkins published the book Left Behind. It's a post-apocalyptic adventure story based around the idea of the rapture, an extrapolation of a few verses in the Bible which seem to suggest that as a preliminary to Jesus coming again, some people will be raptured, simply disappear, leaving others wondering what's happened. What if it happened when you were on a plane? What if the pilot was one of those taken? That is the basis of the book, which turned out to be the first of no less than 16 and a movie starring Nicolas Cage. As you can imagine, it earned its authors a vast fortune. I can remember, well before those books were written, turning up to a church meeting to find the doors locked and just one other person, a rather earnest evangelical waiting outside. We agreed we'd both probably got come to the wrong venue. Unless, my companion said, they've all been taken and we've been left behind. I felt a cold shiver down my spine. I just wish I'd thought to write a book about it. There have been so many attempts to scour what the Bible says about the end of the world and put it together into some form of coherent structure. It's a constant source of fascination to try to line up present day events and those predicted in the Bible. Did you know, for example, that the address of Trump Tower is 666 5th Avenue, New York, the number of the beast in Revelation? No? Did you know if you add up the letters of Hillary and Bill Clinton using their middle names as well, whether A equals 1, B equals 2, etc., you get, guess what, 666. Well, neither of those is actually true. Trump Tower is 725 Fifth Avenue, and I've no idea about the Clintons, but I got you interested for a second. And why let the truth spoil a good biblical conspiracy theory? People have been doing that kind of thing for centuries, and now with Twitter and YouTube and Instagram and TikTok, anyone can be a prophet of the apocalypse. Maybe that's why we've grown a little dull in our expectations, and each year as Advent Sunday comes round and we have the kind of readings we do about the future of the world, we tend to put them into the too-hard-to-deal-with box at the back of our minds. We know it's part of our faith to believe that one day Jesus will come again, but Honestly, I was a bit disillusioned just recently to find that Captain Kirk has only actually been into space for about 10 minutes. I grew up watching Star Trek going boldly where no man had been before, first with James Kirk at the helm and then later Jean-Luc Picard. They portrayed a future in which the challenges of humankind have been overcome by technology and the final frontier, the last barrier to be crossed, was out there in space seems a very optimistic view of the future now, but back then it didn't seem so far-fetched. We're much less sure that all our problems can be overcome by science, because we know that the final frontiers to progress are probably not out there in space, but somewhere here in our hearts. We're not unused to the idea that the world will end. In fact, even more than our ancestors, we're aware that the Earth and its ecosystems are fragile and could easily reach a tipping point 
from which there will be no return. I've had this possibility laid before us so many times in so many ways that there's a danger we'll just close our minds to it. But we are a people of hope, not gloom. Last week we were celebrating Christ the King Sunday. We believe that in spite of everything, God is in control, that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and to the thirsty he will give to drink the water of life. So here are three things the message of Advent Sunday tells us we should do. First, be ready. This seems to be the main thrust of biblical teaching on this matter. Wake up, don't sleep, be prepared. But how can you possibly be prepared for the end of the world? Feels like those warning signs you sometimes see, beware, low flying aircraft. What are you supposed to do about that? Take your hat off. Perhaps it isn't such a silly comparison because although you can't stop it happening, you can at least make sure you're not taken by surprise if it does. When you see these things happening, do not be alarmed, said Jesus. While everyone else might be running around like headless chickens, his followers would be prepared. And above all, they would know that this is a beginning, not an ending, that God is in control. Because we have confidence and faith, we can be a non-anxious presence in an anxious world. Being prepared involves some obvious things, the kind of things you probably want to do anyway. It means doing the things you know you should do and not putting them off. Keeping short accounts, being quick to forgive, letting people know that you love them, turning earthly treasure into heavenly treasure. What do you need to do to take seriously this teaching, to be prepared? Secondly, be watchful. We're encouraged to look for the signs. Jesus said he did not know the day and the time of the end of the world. And if he didn't, I'm not sure how all those who have tried to predict it since think they know better than he did. The signs he gave, wars and rumours of wars, are very general and have occurred in every century since. He wanted people to know that this was going to happen and they shouldn't be alarmed. It didn't mean that God had forgotten or that the plan had gone wrong. This was what had to happen. But, he says, when you see the fig tree budding, you know the summer is near. The way I've understood this is that if you look, you can see the signs of God at work. Even in dark, gloomy times when things are hard and everything feels like an uphill struggle, if you look beneath the surface, you can find signs of hope. Just like the sap is rising in the fig tree and showing signs as it begins to bud, so if you look, you can find signs of hope even in the dark times, even in unexpected places. We are to be people who watch. What signs of God at work have you seen today, this week? Maybe we're not looking carefully enough. And thirdly, be hopeful. Being hopeful is different to being cheerful or looking on the bright side or thinking it might not happen. It's more than optimism. I think you can be sad and pessimistic, but still hopeful. 
Our hope is not hope that, but hope in. I've heard other people say that and thought it was a bit of a cliché, but thinking about it again, there is something profound there. Now hope that is not that now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? asks Paul. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. His life and writing were dominated by that blinding vision he had on the road to Damascus. Despite everything that he endured afterwards, despite all the beatings and imprisonments and setbacks, he held on to that light and that voice that had changed his life. We are called to hope for what we do not see. Optimism is seeing what might happen and thinking we might get there. Hope is not being able to see a way forward, but believing that one exists. Our hope is based on the one who calls us. If we've lost hope, it's because we've lost our sense of calling. And the way forward is not to chide ourselves, but rediscover our connection with the calling one. We're not called to be cheerful, but we are called to hope and to be a source of hope in a world that is losing it. So what do you need to do to regain your sense of hope? This is the Sunday we light the first Advent candle and it feels as if the journey towards Christmas has properly begun. From the beginning of time, this eternal plan of salvation was in place. God's love for us is so great that there is an answer to our greatest need. Not the one people were expecting, but a child in a manger. And in the expectation of that, we are to be ready. We are to be watchful. And we are to be a people of hope. May God bless this word to us. Amen.